Hello and welcome to This Week at the Movies. I'm Matt. I'm Eric. And we are celebrating Labor Day by looking back at the summer of 2023, Labor Day Goodbye, weekend. summer. Yes. Labor Day weekend, often the unofficial end to summer, just as Memorial Day weekend is often the unofficial kickoff to summer. So, you know, this summer has brought us some big movies that both of us dearly love that we have already talked about. You know, there was the Barbenheimer, uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer, both uh, up there in my top five. I know in Eric's as well. We've had uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, still very high up there for me. What a great way to kick off the summer movie season, which mm -hmm. at the movies begins the first weekend in May. Uh, yeah. And you and you had spider-man indiana jones mission yeah. impossible like fire after fire grand, after fire. Grand torino, uh, grand torino. Grand Turismo. Yeah. Grand Turismo. Yeah. But Grand Turismo. So, but you know what? There were other movies out there that we didn't have a chance to talk about on this here program uh, that were actually kind of interesting or piqued our interest. So that's why we're going to call this one kind of hidden gems. And you know what? We're going to kick off. Eric is fired up. And ready to go with the most hidden of dully gloomy gems, a, a sort of faded ruby, if you will. <laughs> Insidious, the red door. And you know, it's not often that the fifth movie in a franchise makes it to your hidden gems. I would think, you know, the four previous installments might have brought it out to the light, but Eric. What was the insidious? This is the one of the four yeah. movies we're going to talk about tonight that I actually have not seen. So you've not seen it. Okay. I have so not. full spoilers. So you know, whatever. I don't think you're so, gonna ruin it for me. I have an in the inkling of what happens. Let me just start with with a, a core comment on the original casting of Insidious. You have Rose Byrne, who is one of the most well-ranged and underrated actresses of her time, I think. You have Patrick Wilson, who is, is constantly a highlight of most things he's in and never quite gets the spotlight. You have Ty Simpkins, who may be the best child actor of his generation. And you have... Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm gapping on her name, but she's been in all four of the previous installments, all five of the installments, actually. Um, and she rarely gets to play a character who's not larger than life, and she's still a clairvoyant. What is her name? That lady. Hey, let's look it up. Give me two seconds. Don't click off the video. It's going to be really entertaining, I swear, I promise. And see this red door is basically a recap of one and two. And that's a very bizarre way to put things, but here's the deal. Lynn Shay. Oh my goodness. Thank you. That's going to kill me that I didn't remember that. Lynn Shay, genre actress. She's a staple. She's fantastic. So you have a cast that started in 2011 in this movie directed by James Wan, who with a one, two punch of insidious and the conjuring kicked off our recent heavy wind of modern horror. And and so just an incredible amount of All talent is Patrick this. Wilson, apparently, though, because he's in the country franchise. Yeah. Like, it's I, either I, Patrick Wilson and you need one of the Farmigas. It's either Vera yeah, there you go. going OG or Thaisa <laughs> if you're going to go with Thaisa. So, So here's what I don't get. The Insidious, the first two movies, I, I love horror. They scare me. 
Like, you know, there, there are movies and you watch and you're like, this is a scary movie. And then there are ones that get under your skin. You're not totally comfortable having them on your shelf. For me, these are movies like The Witch and the Insidious movies. It's just, it's so annoying to me to see so much passion and then see a project come out that defies all expectations for how little care I think a studio would have for a fifth installment and brings back the entire cast of the original allows Patrick Wilson to direct and then delivers the most spaced out boring story they could possibly come up with. And it's, it's a mystery to me because you've got to think these people are invested. Why are you coming back to this when you're all super talented and going off and doing something else? Ty Simpkins, the last that we saw of him was at Tony Stark's funeral. You know, he's in the nice guys. He's in, uh, the insidious movies he's in, uh, Iron Man three and he rocks every role that he's in. And now he's in this transition period of young adult. And I think he's maybe figuring things out. I don't know. I really hope I don't learn scary stories. Like I hope he grew up well. Um, but and he's a very effective actor still. He's great. He was the most engrossing thing in the movie to me. But what happens is after the first two movies, they sit down, they've beaten the big bad, and they wipe Patrick Wilson and Ty Simpkins' minds. And then they thought it was a great idea to have this movie's first half be that the first two movies are a mystery to them and they're trying to figure out what happened. Why? Why would you have sequence after sequence of just uh, someone is in location A and set up for tension to build and you don't know where the monster is going to spring up and surprise you? I mean, the, the, the oh my gosh, there's such little explanation of everything. There's such, you know, you'd think the red door would finally be about the red door. Since the first movie, this has been the place where the lipstick face demon has lived. And so you think, and for a brief second, you get Ty Simpkins in that living space, interacting with the creature. But no, he's just in there and then he's trapped in a cage and then he's possessed for a second. And then, you know, it just kind of fumbles its way out. There are all of these dangling plot hooks that serve for ideas for more interesting stories like Ty Simpkins. You know, it's always been a rule. The longer you spend in the further with these people who can astral project into the realm of the dead, the more you open a window for the dead to affect the living. But... There's a problem in the world of the undead, and this isn't the first time this had happened, but the idea is that this child is now empowered and has the ability to affect change, and he sees this ghost who died of, like, alcohol poisoning, and he tries to give him a warning, and there's a hint that he's going to start to follow the breadcrumbs from ghost to ghost to try and solve the problem, and then he is immediately captured, and the movie is almost over. and. It drove me insane. I, the, I, the, the tone and the flavor and the direction, everything was there. So why didn't they freaking use any of it? I don't understand. This, this franchise is such a standout horror franchise. Even if you're moving on to three and four, those aren't the most like world-changing movies ever. They don't really bring a lot of new ideas to the table. But one and two, with this being a direct sequel that could have kept a trilogy centered around that family, oh man, like I just, I just wanted so much more. Now there are some effective 
moments of tension in this movie. And if you miss this over the summer, this is going to be an amazing, like, turn off the lights, see if you can make it through the whole movie with the lights turned off for the fall season movie. Especially, again, as, as, a, as a continuation of movies one and two. They do something amazing in this franchise, which well, is... I will say the nice thing about all four of the movies we're going to talk about tonight, they are all available on VOD as of Yeah, now. yeah. And uh, that was the greatest thing about Ninja Turtles, is I was like, am I going to go to the movie theater this weekend? And it popped up on VOD, and I felt really bad about not seeing it in theaters afterwards, but we'll get there. Anyways, Insidious the Red Door... The, this, the, that franchise, is the last thing I'll say, is that it repurposes footage from older movies, and there are setups where characters can look in on themselves younger. And I got to tell you, there is one absolutely worthwhile moment of seeing the movie for where the uh, Ty Simpkins older revisits himself younger. And because of the nature of how they film these movies, they do not have to de-age the actors. They just use footage from when they were. And I, I'm, it's just, it's one of those things that the movies that, that get under my skin the most are the ones that waste potential. And this is a movie that has potential and wasted all of its screen time. And I just really think people might get a kick out of it, but get ready to want to get more invested in something that yields very little reward. <laughs> So, yeah. I can tell you're giving it two thumbs up. Oh, full two thumbs up. I'm actually neutral to one. I'm like, I'm like weakly shifting one thumb off the mat. But, um. And this movie came out kind of in a weird period, the beginning of July, right? It was. Uh, oh, it had no chance. <laughs> there were two movies that came out July 7th. You and I didn't uh, do a show that week. But both of us have a film that released that week on mm -hmm. the list for this week, which is kind of interesting. Yours was Insidious. We'll get to mine later. Both of them now available on VOD. The VOD window, I swear, is getting shorter and shorter. You know, it the really Meg is. 2, which launched like August 16th or something, yes. is already this available. This is my theory. On this VOD. is my theory. I think if there is a certain percentage of drop-off in the second week of sales, they're going to try to throw a movie on VOD before word of mouth is gone to see if they can generate home revenue. Yeah. And we're going to see a three-tiered theater, VOD, physical media release. I think that's going to become the norm moving forward. Well, we go from uh, a horror movie to like the deep well of sadness. My my first pick is the film Past Lives, which, you know, our good friend Ricky, I told him I watched the movie and I was like, it's a little bit sad. And he's like, what are you talking about? This is the saddest movie I've ever seen. And I was like, okay, well, now I don't feel so bad. Uh, the movie debuted at the Sundance Film Festival and then kind of unceremoniously got a release on June 30th. It worked out great for me because I really wanted to see it so that I could include it to see if it would make my top films of the first half of the year, which, spoiler alert, it did. It is still sitting up in my top five uh, for the year. Some incredible performances, but you wouldn't really pick June 30th in the middle, you know, in between blockbuster season as the time of year where you would get this kind of 
slow burn drama. So if you missed it at the theater, you can't be blamed. It is now available on VOD. It comes from A24, um, which, you know, very much known for for doing kind of deeper award bait films. And this, I think, certainly will play in there. It comes from Celine Song, who is the writer and director. And it's really a tale of these two kids, Nora and Haesung, uh, who were deeply connected childhood friends. And then Nora's family emigrated from South Korea, first to Canada, and now she's in New York. And they kind of tried to keep this connection alive. Um, you know, at various points in time, and you hit three kind of different time periods. But ultimately, the ending time period, as you can see from this trio here, is Hai Sung coming to visit Nora, who's now married to a different dude. Uh, and it's them kind is that of Diego Luna. No, John Majero. John Majero, and he he gives a great performance in what could have easily and the film script is so on point that it even acknowledges could have been like the a terrible part you know like the typical white new jewish new yorker who is now standing in the way of true love between these two uh you know childhood sweethearts greta lee is the main actress she's incredible in this um their back and forth is incredible the way that it explores this idea and their lives and tells the story is pretty incredible. It is overwhelmingly sad, but not in like a depressing way. I don't even know how to describe it unless you saw it, but it is incredibly powerful, a very well-written, well-acted film. I think Greta Lee, John Majero could both be, um, on the short list for acting nominations, you know, when we come out of this very well crafted by Celine song, again, not the kind of movie you typically think of when you were thinking of like the summer blockbuster season did come out during the summer. It's now available on VOD. Um, everyone that checks it out seems to get blown away. Um, you know, I would give it two thumbs up. I, I didn't, I was not expecting it, but uh, so we, yeah, go ahead. You're muted. A24 must have something locked for the November season, you know? You know what's... Yeah, there. there's going to be some, some other things that are coming out. What's interesting is one of the biggest releases from Sundance that had already gotten parked on December 8th, which I know was supposed to be for an Oscar run, stars Jonathan Majors and now mm. it's still slated to come out there and I don't know what to make of it now um, that magazine dreams I actually that was one of the few movies I saw out of Sundance in mm. Sundance um, so but yeah there's always big ones uh, that come along um, a24 has had a lot of interesting films how to blow up a pipeline which kind of was making the rounds in the spring is now available on Hulu uh, to stream. I know that one has a lot of a lot of backing, and I'm sure there's going to be some other things in the fall. I it might be that second movie about Elvis, told from Priscilla Presley's perspective. I think that's an A24 film. Okay, uh, that comes from Sofia Coppola. Uh, I've seen the trailers for it. Very, you know, has that Sofia Coppola vibe, but we shall okay. see. 
So we went to, we went from horror uh, to the deep well of drama to, you know, what else could we do other than drop right into the animated the realm? Exact uh, opposite. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem from, as they called it, Perpetual Teenager uh, Seth Rogen. Uh, and his partner, Evan Goldberg. Seth Rogen actually a voice in there. So is Io Adibri, who has had a huge summer, uh, currently starring in the movie Bottoms, which just came out, but she voices April O'Neil. She's also the executive chef on The Bear, if you've ever seen that FX oh, series. Cool. Uh, I love her voice work here. You got Jackie Chan as Splinter. Uh, this was a movie I saw that I actually enjoy. Eric wanted to pick it up, and it made your list. It it jumped real high on my list. I don't understand what happened to me when I was watching this movie. Um, so I'll just sing the movie's praises for a little bit. One, it is in contrast to every single Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that's ever been made. You now realize that the real titles for all those movies are Young Adult Mutants uh, Martial Arts Turtles. This movie is about teenagers, mutants, who are ninjas and turtles. It, it's such a stark contrast of these characters that are on screen to even the most playful, child-friendly versions of the animated series. I think, I think there is an animated series from the late uh, 2000s to early 2010s that really strikes a good balance like this. And I'm not saying that this blows everything out of the water. I think there's certainly, for fans of this franchise, you know, comparable projects but jackie chan was a like i shouldn't be surprised because he voice acted an entire animated series and he has plenty of history with it but you know splinter they didn't go with this this history that splinter has and some run of the comics and things where he's the soul of like a, a martial arts master imbued in a rat and that's why he does no He's a rat who's been treated by the world like a rat. And that's why he would want to train what he sees as his children to defend themselves and keep things secret and keep to the shadows. It's a natural extension to the, the contrast between human and animal and the way that they interact. And I should not be saying something that over the top about a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. But here we are. This movie took something so outlandish and then made the relationship so real that everything worked. April was amazing. Her relationship with the turtles was organic. The turtles relationship, the ad-libbing that they let the teenagers do, they used just enough of the ad-libbing to let them feel like real teenagers and not enough to make them stall a story from happening or keep from moving things forward. It, this is just kind of another superhero movie of the summer, but even when it comes to the style, I would say they are influenced by something like Spider-Verse, but I think this has it's such its own stamp of just like a child drawing in a sketchbook in high school and creating something out of their minds just because they think it's awesome. And I think you said it right, that promotional thing from Perpetual Children, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. It is hands down the best voice that could possibly be behind it because the humor is not always oh isn't it crazy that they're turtles or they're mutants sometimes the humor is just the humor of what can happen to people and situations that are awkward and fun like i i, I thought i was i thought i was gonna i thought i was going to 
dismiss and have to just tolerate so many moments in this but i absolutely loved all of the characters and just became heavily invested in what was happening and like ice cube nailed it like i, I like i paul rudd was amazing for the little bit that he got Giancarlo and, esposito yes he was fantastic baxter stockman like the idea that he's in the woodwork and there maybe could be another with this they used they used animation as a medium so well to showcase their balance of teamwork of the turtles and to montage, like to make that city come alive in the flavor and texture that it needed to like you, it, it shows you what this medium can do with the sort of heightened reality of like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies and that New York city. This was just so much more like like lived in, and I I just was completely blown away from beginning to end. It started, it stopped. I wanted to watch the whole credits because I just didn't want to stop thinking about the music, the needle drops, the Trent Reznor score. Like every few minutes, I remember another thing about the movie that I was like, oh my gosh. And I don't understand. There are some people that are for lack of a better term, sleeping on this movie or or just like passing on it like maybe it's not for them i don't know what it is but like i feel like there's just been so many turtle movies that people were not inclined to give it a chance i mean going back to i, I actually went back and rewatched all the uh, the original three from the 19 you know from 1990 uh, yeah, 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 yeah. uh you know and then you had different animated iterations you had the michael bay Fox iterations, which I had almost forgotten about till they popped up on Paramount Plus. They were like, "Hey, you need to watch all these turtle movies." And I was like, "Oh yeah." So I, when I saw the trailers, I I didn't have huge expectations, but I'm like you, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was better than I expected. I gave it a thumb up. Uh, it's low key been a pretty good summer for animated films. You know, you yeah. mentioned Across the Spider Verse which I didn't love it as much as I love the first one, but it's still right up there in my top 10 for this year. I actually really enjoyed Elemental, which was the Pixar offering that they finally actually put back in the theaters. Yeah. Uh, You know, Elemental and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think those three animated films that we've gotten in this, you know, June, July, August period have been very strong and will end up being pretty strong contenders. I would think at the end of the year, I really enjoyed those. And at the same time, we got like Nimona on Netflix, which mm-hmm. dropped in the middle of summer, which was a pretty well-received animated film. I like that one. Okay. It's, it's been a decent summer for animated films that have had, you know, some, some good stories. I'll be curious to see what kind of ones we get. Uh, in the fall, it doesn't look like there's a huge slate of big animated releases in the fall. Disney putting a lot of the Paw Patrol hope in movie. the wish. No, that's a no from me, dog. And I'll have to tell you, I saw Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. Oh, oh. God. that was that Utterly seemed like a weird project. Utterly forgettable. Okay. Well, from perpetual turtle teenagers uh to perpetual adult teenagers my choice was the other film that dropped on july 7th and that was joyride it came from adele lim who uh, was making her 
directorial feature debut, but she was a writer. She worked on Crazy Rich Asians. She worked on Raya the Last Dragon, uh, the animated film last year. None of those would probably prepare you for this. Um, this is an all-out kind of balls-to-the-wall which is ironic since it's all women, uh, R-rated comedy, the kind, you know, you always get one of these like over the top, you know, I think of Bridesmaids was like a middle of summer, the hangover, kind of that middle of summer. Uh, this really filled that void. Uh, you get to see these kind of four girls uh, who are from, uh, you know, three of whom live in America going on this wild trip um through korea and just some incredible um performances uh they they end up going through china and korea uh and it is just a whole lot of fun ashley park is great as audrey really enjoyed sherry cola and stephanie Zhu. Um, I thought were incredible. Sherry Cola would be on my short list for Best Supporting Actress for this. Stephanie Sue, who was incredible in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, completely different part. Those two just killed me. And then kind of the fourth member of that group, Sabrina Wu, who played a character named Deadeye. It's just so much fun. It's so unexpected. You have real life people playing exaggerated versions of themselves like Baron Davis, who is playing himself and his basketball team, which ends up factoring into all this, uh, just some hilarious turns, um, a lot of camaraderie. It was a movie that, that just really was up there for me. It is currently sitting at number seven on my, uh, list all seven, I think of my top, uh, films so far this year have come during the summer movie season. It has just been an incredible season. Um, I gave it, you know, a huge thumbs up. It was a big surprise to me. You know, I thought, it, I thought, oh, you know, this could be funny, um, but I just loved it. And that's another one that just kind of seems like, I don't know if it just caught caught between the huge releases. Cause you know, you had Indiana Jones there that came out on June 30th. And then you had, Mission Impossible that came out on July 12th, Barbenheimer in July, and then I can't even remember, the, the last week in July had some kind of mega release too that we looked at. Uh, you forget because they all just packed so closely together. And unfortunately, I think this movie kind of got a little bit lost in the shuffle there because it was like the the Friday after 4th of July. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it dropped on July 7th. This is the same weekend as Insidious the Red Door. I think that was just a weekend that kind of got lost in the shuffle between these sort yeah. of mammoth releases because in June, you know, you would have had Across the Spider-Verse and then you ended with Indiana Jones and then it was like this weekend and then Mission Impossible actually pulled up, didn't even go on a Friday, went on a Wednesday. So it was literally five days after these movies open. I hope more people get a chance to see it. It's another one that's available on VOD if you're just looking for like kind of an outrageous comedy. And it's nice that it explores a different cultural perspective than you typically get and showcases a group of actresses that, you know, I hope become household names. I've been noticing them in other things like Audrey Park, who's the lead in this is actually one of the, the leads in season three of only murders in the building. 
which mm. has been fun. I've seen Sherry Cola in a couple Started of things. Season two. Yeah. Well, you'll get there. Season <laughs> season three has Meryl Streep and Paul Rudd. So I know. You know, I've, I I enjoy that show a lot more than maybe I should. But watching that in the after party, it's just about the real life TV murder mysteries for me, apparently. But, uh, you know, if you're looking for a good comedy, it was a good time. I think what we can take away from tonight and the rest of the summer is what an incredible summer. Oh, my gosh. Which is good because it looks like they're they're shuffling some things out of the fall. So we may need to savor this. Time to uh, process it. Yeah, we may need to savor this summer period. But it was just, I mean, it was a mammoth uh, summer. I had some lofty expectations going in, and I think it blew them all out of the water. Yep. Yep. I think for the most part in general, things have either hit or surpassed expectations. I don't know. I can't think of anything for me, you know, because I ended up liking Indiana Jones more than I thought it would. The rest of the world is kind of like, you know, okay, good night. You know, so, yeah. I, I mean, I liked it. A decent amount too. Yeah. You know. I don't know. That was the other June release. It's the Flash. I was trying to think something else that's oh, now right. on the VOD oh that's come out. That's right. That one where Michael Keaton came back as Batman. We forgot about that one. <laughs> I mean, based on the numbers, apparently people did Yeah, apparently that. people did. Yeah, Blue Beetle was pretty good too. Yeah. Which uh, sadly it's already been booted out of theaters. Which kind of really? tells you, like, you, the window wow. to succeed for some of these movies now is so short. And I think that's Weak. what you're seeing. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did well enough at the box office that it's been hanging out. But the, th- the other three films on this list, I'm pretty sure Past Lives, I saw it the weekend it came out. I'm pretty sure it was gone by the next weekend. And that's just because you're in the middle of summer and those screens are at a premium. And if you're not churning out, like, a huge box office, but... These are worth checking out. All of them now available on uh, VOD. I'm sure several of them are going to start popping up on uh, regular streaming services as well. Something to look forward to. And you know what? You really need to savor the summer of 2023 because uh, the month of September does not look as spectacular. <laughs> Check out Last Voyage of the Demeter, too. Do that yeah, with your time. That com- it's in there. Completely got lost. Did you actually go see it? Oh yeah, I want that director to succeed. Um, that is the person who did uh, the autopsy of Jane Doe and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Huh. And I have a lot of problems with that movie, but I think they're all the result of that script being one of those like passed around for years scripts. And then they just put this really awesome talent behind the camera and this amazing cast together. But then what are you going to do when you're starting with material that just never fully focused on one thing or another? But but I like I'm hating on like it's like I have this bar for horror and I'm paying like mm, these people don't need it. I tell you what, Last Voyage of the Demeter will surprise you, but um, Insidious the Red Door will be like your first good getting ready for spooky season movie. So take there it and we are kind of in spooky season. Well, if you enjoyed uh, this week, next week will feel very early 2000s as we're apparently getting a third installment of the My Big Fat Greek My Wedding Big series. Fat wedding. And uh, I will tell you, the first two are available to stream if you have streaming services. One, ironically, is on HBO Max and one is on Peacock. Why they're not on the same, 
is anyone's guess, but I did do my rewatching homework. Uh, I think that first one came out when I was in college. So mm -hmm. yeah, interesting to catch up with them all. They're actually finally going uh, to Greece. So mm -hmm. it will be the Greekest of the films. Yep. But uh, I'm super excited about it. I keep so thinking, is my wife. She kept telling me, she's like, uh, what, what can we see this week? And I was like, there's nothing you want to see this weekend unless you want to watch Denzel Washington murder a bunch of people. And she's like, I'll pass on that. And she's like, I'm not going to see anything this month. And I was like, well, my big fat Greek wedding three comes out next Friday. I'm going to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I am reasonably excited for a haunting in Venice, um, which is the third Kenneth Branagh as her. I have to watch Poirot. Death on the Nile. I'm that one. I'm really excited for us to do an episode on. Yes. I have. It's not just because I have so many thoughts, but because I love like murder mysteries. And there's this very bizarre relationship with those movies in the sense that they're almost designed hoping the audience won't have read the source material. And there's so much of the source material that's already been made, the BBC shows and all this kind of stuff. The, those movies are so interesting to me. But I mean, and, yeah, he again has a murderer's row of a cast because Michelle Yeoh, uh, Kelly Riley, uh, Tina Fey, who you don't really picture, uh, Jamie Dornan. She's amazing. Like, yeah. yeah. Jamie Dornan. I think Jamie Dornan is amazing. If you've never seen the show, The Fall. Yes. The Fall is incredible. Oh, my gosh yeah like uh, 50 shades i always thought it was funny that his uh his type in the fall describes the main protagonist of 50 shades of Grey. so i had seen the fall first so when <laughs> i went to see 50 shades with my wife and they make the joke with the whole serial killer kid i'm like i don't know how much of a joke that is it's a little too close spoiler alert if you haven't seen uh some mid 2000s tv with uh Jamie yeah. Dornan and Jillian. No, Anderson. if you can find it, that is a rare top-notch Netflix thriller. Yeah, with um, Jill, yeah, you said Jillian Anderson as the officer trying to like the detective trying to find him. Who went from being scully to like being professionally British in shows? Yeah, <laughs> it's a choice. Yeah, it's a choice. All I right, have enjoyed and a lot to look forward to. Well, go check out all those uh, movies you can catch on VOD and get ready for uh, a visit to the Greek Isles. Until then, we will see you at the movies.